0: Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 53, where this week, after a year of dispensing advice, we turn the table slightly and ask, now you've been here all that time, how about you become the advisor? Well, not quite, but if you've ever considered becoming a mortgage or financial advisor, today's episode is for you. I wonder if I've soaked up enough information via osmosis from Phil to get into the industry as a sideline. Tell you what, do your research, could be you. You don't have to buy bundles of books straight off. Stick your toe in by delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we've covered mortgages, investments, pensions, credit unions, self-built homes, help-to-buy schemes, premium bonds, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week we looked at the world of buying and running a car. Now we could drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically great for your research. Find the UK personal finance show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, you'll get us there. An enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. And while you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow this show. And then that way, You'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis with me as always, the star of the show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Right. I'm ready, Phil. This is the show for me. I could be like the the Sorcerer's Financial Apprentice. What do you think?
1: It's it you must be building up a fair bit of knowledge <laughs> through the podcasts over the, the last year. Eh? That's <laughs> well, the thing. You're never oh, i say never too old, but you're hardly hardly old. That's a thing.
0: <laughs> well, in real terms, for anyone who's serious about this, maybe becoming a mortgage or a financial advisor or something similar, how do you get into
1: it? You know, it's, it's a question I get asked quite a lot. I, I get people connecting with me on LinkedIn, and I, I get folk getting in touch fairly regularly. So I thought, right, we'll do a wee bit different. I mean, most most of the shows were trying to help folk with different financial matters and, and help increase their knowledge on, on numerous topics. But today I thought, right, good good one just to do a show. Maybe if if somebody wants to to look at a career in financial services, maybe a mortgage advisor, financial advisor. it, it doesn't have to be that. When I mean, you've got para planning roles, administrator roles, an awful lot of careers. You can have business development manager roles. I just thought, oh, good to do a podcast on, on this because it is something I get asked
0: quite, quite a lot. We're going to help people out anyway because we could be getting, a, a, you know, a better paying job. So you, you could be helping out the finances as well, Phil.
1: Yeah, we find, I think, one thing with the pandemic is a lot of people have thought, right, What do I really want to do? What what excites me? A lot of career changes over the last few while. So good good topic today, I would say.
0: Absolutely. So let's get into this then. If we're going to get into the financial services
1: sector, what qualifications will we need? What you'll find is there's a few different routes. The The main things I'll probably speak about today is folk having a career as a mortgage advisor or a financial advisor. Now, for me... All, all that I mean, great, it's over 20 years ago now that, that I entered financial services I got a job in a building society and kind of worked my way up there and it was great because they would pay for the exams They were really good with the, the training but you'll find now as more and more banks close the local branches there's less opportunities to kind of get in that way For for me well you mentioned qualifications and Depending on whether you want to be a financial advisor or a mortgage advisor, there's different routes that you can go down with that. So um, I'll start off. Mortgage advisors have got to be what's called level three qualified. The, the most popular examination is called CMAP, which is the Certificate in Mortgage Advice and Practice. And that's done through the, the London Institute of Banking and Finance. And the other qualification that, that some folk will do is called the, the Certificate in Mortgage Advice. And that's through the, the CII, the Chartered Insurance Institute. So it, it's a level three qualification. And that's the equivalent of a, an A-level is the, the sort of qualification. So mortgage advisors have got to have done a relevant mortgage exam. So one of that two would we, qualify somebody for, for that. Financial advisors, they've got to be level four qualified. So they, they need to do a little bit more work Again, the, the Chartered Insurance Institute have got it's called the, the Diploma in Regulated Financial Planning. And then the LIBF, the London Institute of Banking and Finance, theirs is called the, the Diploma for Financial Advisors. Now, these are the equivalent of the first year of an undergraduate kind of degree, is, is the equivalent of that. Once, once folk do the, the qualifications, I mean financial advisors might want to then become a chartered financial advisor planner at some point in time that's a level six qualification and that's similar to, to doing a, a bachelor's degree so so whatever role you, you look at on that side if you're giving advice you, you've got to have a relevant qualification there and is it a young person's
0: game phil because you mentioned yourself given the pandemic i imagine there, there are going to be uh, a few folk who are maybe on another career path entirely and it might have ended abruptly and they're now maybe looking to change tax so is it something you can get into in later life maybe without the same qualifications but more yeah. life experience
1: we, we had a mortgage advisor start with us once in his six days oh, wow he, he did the exams off his own back so he he did i think it was the cmap one two and three so it was three exams that he he sat there and then i i kind of said to him I was, Look, do the exams we'll take you on train you up so i, I would say you're never too old i mean i, I guess though like as life progresses the older somebody gets Probably they they think I oh, definitely would to have to go and do exams, but they you know, all the time. So I mean, age age certainly doesn't restrict it. That's for sure. And the thing is, right? I'd I'd walk in,
0: I'd see that guy in the corner. I think, well, he's obviously experienced. Let's go and speak to him. And
1: know, he might just be fresh out the blocks. I tell you, you, never know. I mean, the the one thing I would say as well is, I mean, age is definitely a, a big. Factor and things. I guess you get some employers that maybe discriminate against age when they shouldn't. I mean, really, it should be somebody's ability to, to do the, the job. So age shouldn't come into that at all. One of the things that that is important is when you start off in financial services, if you want to become an advisor, firms have got to make sure that you're fit and proper for the role that you're doing. So. They, they would carry out things like a credit check, a criminal records check. Basically, they, they would have a look and make sure that you have sound financial background. So things like that really are, are quite important as well. So if somebody had maybe a criminal record for fraud or had an awful lot of adverse credit or been bankrupt in the past, that might can I impact their, their ability to get into this sort of line of work so that's quite an important thing as well. Okay I was going to ask about if you got declared
0: bankrupt if that would would count against you. However you get started in this Phil you mentioned that some of these are equivalent to sort of an A level some of them are equivalent to undergraduate level. What do you have to achieve in order to qualify? What do the exams cover and consist of?
1: Well what I've done I I kind of made a list. The, The Diploma in regulated financial planning. So that's the, the chartered insurance institutes exam. They, they've got six core units. Now, they, they say it's about 370 hours of study. So it's a fair, fair bit there. But then there's a lot to learn. And, and you know what, you can do all the exams. And I, I feel the real learning tends to come once you're actually Doing it. But the their exams they, they've got R01, r 2 R03, 4, 5, and 6. The, and the first exam covers financial services, regulation, and ethics. So that's almost just like the cornerstone of, of things. But so that covers the regulation. The, the next exam is investment principles and risk. You've then got an exam on personal taxation, one on pensions and retirement planning. You've then got one on financial protection. So that's things like life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection. That, that's often seen as the cornerstone of, of financial planning. And then the last exam that they do is financial planning practice. And that's kind of putting it all together at that point. So they've got six exams, cover a, a wide range of topics. The The mortgage advisor exams, they, they usually consist of either two or three exams, and the first one, normally, again, would tend to cover all the regulation, that that type of stuff. You know, that's often quite the, the boring exams, and that's the ones that, unfortunately, you just need to, to kind of know mm-hmm. about as well. But then the, the next exams will tend to start going into more about mortgages, the different types of mortgages, the, the buy-in process, how that all works. So the exams cover quite, quite detailed syllabuses, and it's good if, if you go on to like The Chartered Insurance Institute or the LIBF websites, you, you can actually get the syllabuses on there, so it tells you more detail exactly what they, they cover. But, um, it, it, depending on whether it's a mortgage advisor or financial advisor, that would determine what, what you're actually looking at there.
0: You know, what crossed my mind as you were talking there, Phil, is if you just took like the, the first sort of couple of pages of each of those six sections you're talking about. And, and you clipped them all together and covered it in a yellow folder that said Phil Anderson's Financial Solutions for Dummies, you probably sell off the shelf like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies because people love nothing more than to think, well, if I know what to do, I don't have to pay someone else to do it for me. You probably sell out within a day.
1: Anyway, back to it. Um, how long does all this stuff take? Hey, again, depending on what route somebody goes down, I mean, on the, the mortgage exams, the, the CMAP, There's three modules to complete there. Now, on on the LIBF website, it says that it takes about 12 months to complete. It's very precise. It says 241 hours of study That's what they've got. Now, you'll get some people, with with any of the exams, some folk will rattle through it really quickly. Others will take longer to to do it. I mean, Kevin in in the office that I have, he did the three exams in four months. So he rattled through it really quickly. I don't know how many hours of study he did. He was doing it from scratch. But it just shows you can do it in quite a short timescale if you really set your, your mind on it. The certificate and mortgage advice, there's only two units to do. Now, they say 160 hours of study. So if you wanted to become a mortgage advisor, there, I mean, that's puts out about 80, 81 hours exactly less studying according to them. So somebody might think, right, I want to try and do it as quick as I can. That There's no right and wrong route. So that, that's the mortgage exams. You're looking at either two exams with, with one organization or three with the, the other. The, the financial advisor exams are gonna take you a bit longer. The the diploma in regulated financial planning, they, they say 370 hours of study, and then you have six core units to, to get through. And then the LIBF, they they do the diploma for financial advisors. That's almost their version of this qualification you need for being a financial advisor, theirs takes nine months to complete, and that's assuming you pass the exams first time, and it's got a study time of 400 hours. So certainly the financial advisor exams, you're looking at more than double what it would take to to be a financial advisor. One thing to note as well, I mean, you may get with some of the examination bodies, you you can get recognition of prior learning. So so for example, Emma in, in the office She had done a law degree. Now, some of the stuff that she would have covered in that would have been things like wills, probate, trusts. She she actually can get credits from the examination bodies, which maybe helps her get through things a a wee bit quicker there. So you, you can sometimes get like prior recognition of some of your learning that you've maybe done previously in life. But like I say, it's important to remember that Different people will study at different paces and some will be able to rattle through it really quickly. Others might take a, a bit longer. But that hours that I mentioned there, it can vary quite quite a bit, I'm sure, from from person to person.
0: A few things pop up in my mind there, Phil, as you're talking. You, you mentioned two sort of industry bodies that are awarding certification here. Yeah. Is, is there one which is held in higher esteem than the other or are they much of a muchness?
1: I, I would say now probably not. It, it used to be maybe a few years back, the Chartered Insurance Institute, I, I guess, focused past the exams through them, maybe thought, oh, well, we're maybe a bit above the, the LIBF, but like for me, if I was taking on an advisor, I, I don't care, as long as they pass the exams, that's the, the main thing. Um, certainly, if, if somebody goes on to become, for example, a chartered financial planner or a certified financial planner, that type of qualifications, MD passing them, you know, they've, they've got a really good knowledge of, of what they're doing. And the main thing is just to, to be able to advise, you've got to have done that the minimum qualifications.
0: You said there, uh, um, when you went back to like your own studies, the Skipton put you through your studies and then you yeah. worked your way up. Is that what traditionally happens, or do you find people coming sort of in off the street and saying, right, you know what, I've just been made redundant, I've got a whack of cash, I fancy doing this, and I'm going to put myself through it,
1: and, and just studying on their own? Yeah, I, I always, you know what, I, I like, if, if folk are willing to do it themselves and show a bit of commitment, great. I, I, I One lassie that's been in touch with me several times, oh, have you anything going She's never done any of the exams. And I'd even say, it's like, look, go and do the first one. Mm. And I, I, it just shows a little bit of commitment because, I mean, I suppose the costs, I mean, I, I've, I've paid, we, we've got three, well, two trainee advisors in the office and one that I wouldn't really class as a trainee anymore. Um, she's like more than competent now. But I, I paid for the, the exams for both of them. But I, I said to them, I guess, look, go and pass the exams. And then once you do that, I'll take you on. So I, I actually paid for it. And I suppose if you can get a sponsor that will pay for the exams, great, but sometimes you've just got to use your own initiative and, and kind of go and, and do it. That's that's a thing. And is it is it cost prohibitive, Phil? Is it, is it expensive? It's not too bad, you know. I mean, like the, the CMAP exams, they, they cost a, a total of £570 in total. So that's £190 per module. So, I mean, for a couple of hundred quid, even to go and do the first one yourself i don't know it's like just shows that you've you've kind of committed to it does it that's a thing the certificate and mortgage advice that's the cii's mortgage qualification now they've got different costs if you're a member of the cii it's 376 pounds or if you're a non-member 459 so if you paid a membership much the same but i mean you can get through their qualification for like less than 500 quid and and the the cmap one i said was, was 570 so I don't know, like sometimes you've got to invest in yourself, do you? That That's a thing. And mm-hmm. the, the mortgage advisor, sorry, the, the financial advisor exams are going to be more costly. The diploma in regulated financial planning, if you're a member of the CII, you're probably best being a member with that because you've got six exams to do, so it's going to be more worthwhile. But you're looking at around about 1,500 quid to, to get through that one. And then the Diploma for Financial Advisors, the LIBF exam, you're looking at around about £1,000 for, for that one. They, they also have options where you can pay a wee bit more and get tutor support as well. So definitely costs more for the Financial Advisor exams, but then Financial Advisors t- tend to earn more. And uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's one of the things. And not only that, but they've got a lot more to, to, to learn as well. Yeah, well, that, that was the the
0: payoff I imagined in my mind was that if it costs more to do and there's more to learn, then you're probably going to get um, yeah. more earnings on the, on the other side. But before we get on to just how much, it, I assume it, this is a career
1: path that you would recommend. Oh, do you know, like I, I've i thoroughly enjoyed my career in financial services. I mean, I, I've done it for over, well over 20 years now and I, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I like helping people. So I, it, it's been a good career path for me and, and I've done well out of it financially as well. Although that I, I see that almost as secondary for, for myself. But there there is threats. I mean you, you've got that there's what's called robo advice. So I mean that that's more like folk just going on and online and decision trees doing things themselves. I know in the future, I think banks will use artificial intelligence a lot more and try and get, they almost cut out the middleman sort of thing. So I I can see that happening more and more. But you know what? I I genuinely think that there's still quite a number of good years for mortgage brokers and financial advisors. I, I really do. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, Banks now, they're they're closing branches, that they don't have the same advice arms anymore. So I think if somebody can get into financial services, I can see the demand for mortgage advice and financial advice remaining pretty high over the next few years.
0: Well, I think you've sold it as a career path. How much then? And this is just the, the sort of icing on the cake, I suppose. How much do mortgage advisors and financial advisors traditionally earn? Let's say when, what once they've just qualified for what, yeah. what would be the starting. Sort it,
1: of it can vary. Do you know? What? It can vary quite a bit. I mean, it varies in different regions. It varies depending on on someone's experience. But I had a look. One of the the recruitment companies. They they've got a website. Now, it tries to give the average earnings, and it said that the average UK mortgage advisor earnings was 48,773. It then said that the average earnings for a financial planner was 65,000. I I would have thought for a financial advisor, it would have been much more than that. we, We were looking for a financial advisor not that long ago, and we had to pay more than that just as a basic salary. I mean, I suppose it's all supply and demand, but I, I would say, I mean, just now that there's companies are screaming out for, for good financial advisors, looking for good, like, administration staff, para planners are, are quite in demand at the minute as well. I know some financial advisors who are earning well over 200,000 a year, and, and I know quite a number that are, are doing that. I mean, basic salaries for a financial advisor can range... Anything for 30,000 to 80,000, but the on target earnings can often be a, a good bit more as well. So, financially, I, I think the, the earnings are well up there with, with like average UK earnings. I mean, I, I would say most mortgage advisors should be looking to make at least 50 000 to 60,000 a year, and financial advisors, I, I, I'd be saying at least eighty. 90, a year is what most should be looking at there. Guess as well, it depends how hard somebody's willing to work, depends what kind of bonus structure they, they've got as well. But remuneration-wise, good good career path. And is it a bit like um like medicine, Phil, where
0: you study sort of broad bones of your subject up to a point to qualify, say, as a general financial advisor, and then maybe choose to, to zone in in a, a certain area to make that your niche, like becoming a, you know, a mortgage consultant or a pension specialist.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's it. You, you'll get some some financial advisors that will go on and specialise in different areas. They might, say, right, I'm going to be more a tax and trust specialist. Others might say, right, I'm going to be a pension transfer specialist and deal with defined benefit pensions. And even on the mortgage side, I, I know a guy in Dundee who specializes in, in buy-to-let mortgages. So th- there are areas that you can kind of like almost find your niche and say, right, I'm going to specialize in, in that. So, yeah, that, that's something that you can, can get into. I mean, on the mortgage side, you, you've got what's called lifetime mortgages or, or equity release If somebody wants to advise on that, they've got to do another qualification on top. But that that can be quite a lucrative path on the the mortgage advisor front as well, because that's really a lot of mortgage advisors will just do your traditional mortgages. Whereas an equity release advisor, they're specializing in mortgages for the over 55s and they they can get paid quite well for for doing them as well. So yeah, definitely areas that you can go out and, and specialize in. And if you're if you're looking at
0: an ageing population, if you like, and and that sort of growing all the time, then it's maybe a, a market to get into the over fifty fives.
1: Definitely, so, yeah. it is. I mean, just now you've you've kind of got the baby boomers coming through. I, I do you know what? See, see, like twenty odd years ago, I mean, my mum my and dad they had me wanting to do. They, they're like they, they just wanted me to have a good career, and whether that they, my mum had me applying for like the police, the prison service all that sort of things. And I was like, I definitely really want to do that. And eventually I got the job in the building society, kind of worked my way up there and enjoyed it. I've always liked money. So it's a good job for me. <laughs> but, um, do, do you know, I mean, it is, It's sometimes it's just getting your foot in the door is, is the hardest thing, but I, I've always really enjoyed it. It's a career path that, that I've kind of loved over the years. And like I said earlier, I love helping people. So it, it's been good for myself. And how do you get your foot in the door Phil? I mean, I imagine,
0: you know, these are going to be popular courses, you, you've mentioned that the the pay is a good thing, you know, is it a decent starting salary, whatever else you can make up to yeah. a quarter of a million a year, it's going to be something that's in demand. So presumably, you've got a lot of people coming out of this process. And then they're all trying to get a job with a financial
1: advisor. So how do you get your foot in the door once you're you know, get, getting in, Getting into it is probably the hardest thing. I mean, I would say some, some of the larger financial firms, like they, they've got different ways to, to kind of help people get going. St. James's Place, one of the biggest financial advisory firms, they, they've got an academy. Again, you've got to apply. They only take certain people on with, with that. So another big company, Fairstone Group, they, they've got various apprenticeships and graduate schemes, and they've also got roles, like not just advisor roles, but ones where you can step up and maybe get in a planning role and then move on from there. Quilter are another big financial planning firm. They, they've got, they, they call it the financial advisor school. And that's like a training program. Now, it, it costs to do that, but I, I guess if, if people do it, one thing I would say, sometimes you've got to take a step backwards to move forwards again. And I, I remember one person that, that came to me, they, they worked in an oil related job, getting good money, just as a, like an admin type role but were well they 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 were looking for the same again or more as a trainee and I'm like well no you need to kind of take a step back before you move forward again so so that's kind of an interesting point Some, sometimes a way to get into it is to maybe start off by becoming like a para planner first and then move into an an advisory role quite a lot of people will start off as a mortgage advisor and then look to become a financial advisor thereafter so some of the things I would say is maybe tips are go to networking events try and meet financial advisors see how they got into it I mean things have changed compared to to what it used to be before but try and get good contacts connect with folk on LinkedIn social media it never hurts to ask I mean I, I get people getting in touch all the time, quite constantly. Sometimes you can just be in the right place at the right time. And I, I took a decision myself to say, right, it's a job getting good staff. So we, we thought, right, we'll we'll start training people up. So we, we've had about four or five that we, we've trained up over time ourselves, and it works really well. Kayleigh, our, the, the mortgage advisor, taken to like a duck to water. Kevin give him his first start in, in financial services. He's now a brilliant financial advisor. He can also do mortgages. And, you know, if, if you can get in, getting your, your foot in the door is often the, the hardest part. But I know for me, I, I like to see people show a bit of commitment, maybe go and do some of the exams off your own back. And, and like I say, willing to take a step back sometimes before you move forward again. That That's something that not everybody's willing to, to kind of do that. So I, I like to see folk that are keen, enthusiastic, and, and I'm sure other employers are are the same. Like
0: anything, Phil, isn't it? You've got to have the right stuff and then be in the right place at the right time. And if all those things yes. just meet in the middle, then, you know, you, chances are you've got the job. Just yep. go back for me for a second. Um, You mentioned that uh, some of these bigger companies have like the the financial advisory school or whatever yep. which to me just uh, call me cynical sounded like a revenue stream for the company because yes. they're, they're getting you to to pay to go through it but are you paying to go into it as a trainee um where before you've qualified in the exams and they put you through the exams or have you done the exams and then you're going into this further element of
1: learning yeah they, they do like st so james's place academy so they, they've got quite a like a process to apply for it and they'll be really selective they they are I think on their website they'll say that they're looking for folk with good people skills I I know folk that's worked as maybe car salesmen before so they thought right they'll probably make good financial advisors so some folks see it as a selling job but I I never did I, I always see it as helping people that's how I've always viewed being a financial advisor I think the way it works is they fund it, but if you leave within a certain time scale, you have to pay it back. The, the quilter program is slightly different. You, you pay a fee, or or you maybe get a company to pay that fee. I think for a mortgage advisor, they, they do it for two grand. I think the financial advisors, uh, I, I just off the top of my head, I think it was maybe like about five or six thousand you pay to, to do it, but they they help you to get through all right. the exams. And okay. um, I guess for, for these big financial planning companies, it's their interest to get new entrants coming in because there's an awful lot of people looking for financial advice. And with the best will in the world, a lot of financial advisors aren't really looking to take on new clients. They're happy just to be dealing with their existing client bank and and that's it. So there's a lot of opportunities for people out there that want to get on and want to do well and want to get into financial services okay but like you say it's uh it's about showing
0: enthusiasm and possibly be willing to take a step back to in order to go forward again at some point yeah. in the future okay now each week so far we've covered the the various topics that we discussed phil's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by those subjects so phil today you're on your home turf here plenty to look back on i'm sure but what are you going to decide to share about getting into financial services what have you got on that
1: I remember, I mean, like when I was already in financial services, like I say, I, I started off at Skip 10, worked my way up there. Great, great place to begin my career in, in financial services. Really enjoyed it. I mean, we had some great times 20 odd years ago. I was quite a young lad and it was, it was good fun. We learned, did the exams, worked my way up. I, I remember that one of the jobs that I had, I, I was already, no longer qualified as a financial advisor. And then I, I went to work with a, a large solicitors firm. Called Aberdeen Considine, one of the biggest property well, the biggest property solicitor in Scotland. And I remember meeting the, the guy that owned it, Mr Aberdeen, he was called. You had to call him Mr Aberdeen. His name was Harvey Aberdeen, but just, that. I suppose that's the way they were, real prim and, and proper. And I remember him saying to me, he's like, we we want you to have a career, not a job. And and that always sort of stuck in my mind. And I thought, yeah, it is it is a career. It's not just a job. And, I, you know, like, I, I always really enjoy my time working as a financial advisor and a mortgage advisor and like I say I've always just loved helping people and, and that's one of the reasons to the podcast whether it's helping people with, with financial advice and guidance or whether it's helping people get into financial services and one of the things with me I, I did not see other financial firms as competitors because there's so much business out there it's enough for everybody and if everybody wants it enough they, they can go and get it.
0: Phil, we, we always do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various people you admire. You love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on how to get
1: into financial services? Quote of the week this week comes from Walt Disney. <laughs> All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them.
0: Good old Walt. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week. Contact details are coming up. I'll give it to you after these. Here's our first question. Hi, Phil. I've worked for the same company for over 25 years, and I was one of those lucky people on a final salary pension scheme. But, dun-dun-dun... The other week, I received notification of my employer entering a consultation to alter this. Are they allowed to do that? I was depending on this as it has been in place
1: for years, and now I'm worried. What can actually happen in this scenario? They, they can close a, a final salary pension scheme, but the, the funds that are already there, they're often referred to as frozen, and I must admit, I don't like that kind of terminology, but one thing it's important to note, if they do close that scheme... Although it might, there might not be, they'll then put you into the, they'll need to set up a defined contribution scheme for you. They've still got to have some sort of pension arrangement there. But with the money that's still in the defined benefit scheme, there would still be a set of trustees overseeing that. And that, that fund is the ring fenced pool of assets. And that's set aside to pay all the, the kind of past pension promises. Um, and they, they've still got an ongoing duty on the employer. To keep that fund topped up in the event of a shortfall. So, one option with that pot is you can just leave it as it is. Um, another option is to consider you can trans, like, once that scheme stops, you-, you can consider transferring it to a defined contribution arrangement. The financial regulator, they expect financial advisors looking at this sort of scheme. To start off on the assumption that it's going to be a bad idea to transfer out of it so in, in the majority of cases most people are going to be best leaving that pot where it is the, the good thing there is it's important to note that that gives you like a, a guaranteed income over time that's going to rise so that, that's one of the, the kind of advantages there some of the disadvantages are that you know final salary pension schemes are considered to be the securest type of pension and, and what you might find is if they do give you a transfer value, it's maybe not as good as, like, if you stay in the scheme. So probably a lot to, to consider there. But, yeah, they, they can, unfortunately, close it. And that's not all that many. You know, the final salary schemes are becoming less and less over time, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, presumably because they cost the companies more money to pay out. But um, in, the, in the instance of this person here who's got in touch and said that they've, they've worked for the same company for over 25 years, I'm yeah. assuming that they're coming towards the time where they'd be looking to to retire, so the majority of what they've they've had in this scheme is is safe. That's what you're saying. It's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I know. Okay. And
1: and even if like the if the employer was to go belly up, there's protections in place for for defined benefit pension schemes as well, so they the, they don't have to panic about that. So, but like I say, the, the employer has still got an ongoing ongoing duties for that particular pension scheme, and they will need to set up a new pension for the, the staff there as well. Why why would
0: they enter into consultation then, Phil, just simply to draw a line under this final salary pension scheme as yeah. a
1: as a system? Yeah, just to save them money. I mean, they, what you'll find is that, like, on, on the business, that scheme could cost them a fair bit compared to what, like, new pension schemes cost. Like, defined benefit pensions are often classed as your gold-plated pension, So it'll be a cost-cutting exercise for sure. That's Mm. definitely...
0: Okay. All right, uh, next is Colin and Elgin who says, I've had my mortgage with the Building Society since I bought my home 10 years ago, but just recently my bank has been trying to lure me away from the Building Society to place my mortgage with them. They say they can do a better deal for me. One, is it a good idea to have your mortgage and day-to-day banking with the same provider? And two... How can I tell if the deal the bank is offering is one worth changing to? It's
1: definitely fine. I mean, there, there's no issues with having your mortgage and day-to-day banking with the, the same place. That, that's no problem with that at all. One thing I would say is I would recommend speaking to an independent mortgage broker because what they'll do is they can, first of all, check what his existing building society can offer. They they may well give him a new deal to to try and keep him as a client. They, they would then weigh up what the bank is offering to see how good that is. And then they will also weigh up and say, what can other lenders do? So by by going to an independent mortgage broker, they'll look at all the different options. And it gives you the peace of mind that at the end of the day, you know you're walking away with the best deal for your circumstances. But not only that, let them go and do all the work for you. You you could go and look into it and spend a a long time doing it. But an an independent mortgage broker will check all of that for you and take the, the pain out of it for you. And
0: just, um, you mentioned they can go to the, the building society and the building society might make you an offer to stay. Uh, will they tell the broker what their, their best offer is or is there any scenario where you might get a better offer if you were to go back to them yourself?
1: Do you know, most of the time it tends to be that sometimes the best offers can actually be via the brokers rather than mm. going directly to, to the bank. And you get the odd bank that still has maybe slightly better rates if somebody deals directly with them, but um the, the good thing is an independent broker will consider all the the different yeah. options and, and and you know i mentioned like earlier in the show about banks having less staff a lot of the, there was a spell a few years ago where the direct deals were really undercutting mortgage brokers but that's not the case anymore and and you actually find that some some of the banks now are keen they they don't want to have the cost of paying their own mortgage advisors so they're actually fighting they've made cutbacks and they would actually rather people went to an independent broker and then did it through them so it swings and roundabouts but Mm. generally most of the deals tend to be on a, a par at the moment okay I'm
0: John Ellis thank you for joining us today for the UK personal finance show with Phil Anderson now if you feel that you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, or maybe just want to appeal to Phil and say, Phil, going to take me on as a trainee, <laughs> find Phil for finance, search Phil Anderson financial services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search personal finance with Phil Anderson. That's personal finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook, Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, or you can email Phil a question that you can answer on a future show. His address is Phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's Phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I say, Phil could be answering that in an upcoming podcast. Please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. And remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.